Welcome to Unleashed, Spiritual Formation and Soul Care with Carlos Dawson. Hey brothers and sisters, welcome back to another episode of Unleashed, Spiritual Formation and Soul Care. I hope and pray that you're doing well on this Holy Monday, and I hope and pray that you will be touched in your heart, mind, and your soul with this message. And so to begin, I want to set the stage and kind of go back to uh, my past and share a little bit about my story. Um, seven years ago, I was in a small group and after the group was over, I was sitting down with the leader and I was just sharing about these moments I would have of this these, of sadness. I couldn't quite put the pieces together. So after we talked about it and discussed it, he gave me some feedback and he gave me a couple book suggestions and he said, I think you may have unprocessed grief. And so um, I wasn't afraid of it. I was just more than willing to do the work and get better. And so I read the books. I journaled. I prayed. Um, I made some connections. Um, I got some revelation. Um, but I still wasn't quite doing well. And so in the midst of sharing with a friend one day, he said, do you have anybody going through this with you? And I said, no. Um, and he says, well, you might need someone, um, a therapist, a coach, or just a trusted friend um, to share the things that I was going through and share the things that I was getting. And so I prayed about, like, who could help me with this? And so it wasn't until about eight months later, um, I was at a picnic and I ended up meeting this guy. And it was so interesting that as we were talking, I was seeing pictures of people I knew in my past, of like pastors and mentors and and folks that really impacted my life and folks I felt really safe with. And so uh, we exchanged information and a couple weeks later I called him. And so come to find out he was a life coach and um, he was more than willing to to work with me and to sit with me um, through this journey of processing my grief. And so um, the one thing about it was it was going to be a process. And so kind of like our current crisis where, you know, we hear on the news that things are going to get worse before they get better. And that was the same um, in this process. Um, and it may be the same for you um, in your current process and in your current journey, wherever you are and however God is healing you or however he's touching your life. And so as things got worse in this process for me. Um, I did come to a crossroads because the pain um, was becoming more intense as I dealt and faced trauma from my past. Um, things weren't moving fast enough. And so um, I still was in some unhealthy cycles. And so I was done. One day we met, I was done with his coaching. I was done with therapy. I was done with groups. And I was almost done with my faith. I was simply tired of the pain. I did. I couldn't even tell. Like, was I just bearing the cross that Jesus told me to bear, or was it just my wounds? Was it my trauma? I just knew my heart was broken. I knew I was tired, and I was just broken. My trust was broken. Um, I was constantly disappointed, and so I couldn't even tell what was really going on, other than it hurt, and I wanted the pain to stop. And so my coach was good. He was so talented. And so equipped that he just sat with me. He didn't panic. He didn't give me a lot of lingo, a lot of quick fixes. And so because of his patience and because of his gifting and 
and how God was using him, eventually the breakthrough did come. After working with him for nine months, we were hanging out one day, or how I like to call hanging out. And we were talking and we were praying and I got this picture of being in a prison. And um, it was so vivid, like it was like this lime green color. And um, I could hear, you know, the, the noise. If you've ever been to a place where just metal, it's just like there's just like that screeching sound. And, and, um, and it was just really lonely and painful. And the door started to open up. And I felt like Jesus said, you can leave now. And as I was walking out of this prison, I could hear celebration. I could hear people like like partying. And, and um, as I prayed more into it, they were angels. And I told my coach, I'm like, I feel like they're celebrating me. And I look up. And he looks at me and he says, and I celebrate you too. And I lost it. I started weeping. And the one thing that was so big about that moment is that I don't cry in front of anybody. Actually, the last time I cried in front of anybody um, probably had been, I'd have, it probably was 10, 20 years maybe. And so that was a big moment for the both of us. And so looking back on that, that was definitely a holy moment where Jesus used him, partnered with him to get to my heart. And it's so amazing how Jesus knows what to say and when to say and how to say and what to do to get to our hearts. And we see that in the scripture, how every encounter he would have with people, he would be somewhat different. There was no method there was no cookie cutter process. He knew what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And so in that moment for me, he was bringing me back to life. He was raising me from the dead. Even though I'd had all these amazing experiences with God and I knew all the church lingo, when those Holy Spirit highs would come down and I would go back to life, there was still healing that was still needed. My heart still needed to be touched. And so I just want to just share real quick for those who are still in process and those who feel like they're never going to overcome whatever hurdle it is. I just want to say that there's no shame, there's no condemnation, that you haven't flipped the switch yet. Because some of the pain you've lived has been so bad and some of the shame you've endured has been so tormenting. It's going to take the right place, the right time, and the right conditions for you to get well and for you to get healed. And I pray that you would find that safe person. I pray that Jesus would touch you through that person. Or maybe Jesus would show up himself, however he sees fit, because he wants you to have abundant life. He wants to bring your heart back to life that's what he did for me and I hope and pray he does the same for you and we know that Jesus not only heals hearts and and hears our souls but he also actually brings people back from the dead physically and we know from scripture what he did for Lazarus the man was dead for four days and Jesus 
fully God and fully man, gets there to the tomb where, he, where they, the people had put him in and wrapped him up in grave clothes. And Jesus weeps in his humanity, but in his, his divinity raises him from the dead. And so in today's scripture, we're going to fast forward a little bit. There's a big party because they want to celebrate Lazarus is back from the dead and Jesus is in town. And so let's take a look and see what's going on. So in John 12, verses 1 through 11, it reads, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume, made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal from it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. Though the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and believing in Jesus. So, the first thing that jumps out is that Jesus, knowing he was going to face his own death, stops by at a party for his friend Lazarus. What a selfless act to stop by and celebrate someone when you know what's coming. And so Jesus goes and hangs out with his friends. They have a dinner. And Lazarus was just showing so much gratitude, so grateful to being raised from the dead. And who wouldn't be? And so Lazarus is praising God. The people are praising God. And scripture tells us, that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we praise God, he shows up. And so in this case, the gratitude, the praises, God not only shows up, God shows up in flesh. This God, this Jesus, who raised him from the dead, this God who came to give life, this God, is Jesus in flesh as it says in Psalm 36 that he is the well of life the river of delight this Jesus who gave living water was sitting at the table this Jesus who gives second chances to the greatest of sinners and to all who've lost hope and those who have even lost their lives 
was sitting in their home. And he's eating, drinking, being celebrated for his mighty acts. And then he's also there to celebrate his friend who he helped raise, who he raised from the dead. This man, Lazarus, who meant so much to so many people and who meant a lot to Jesus, as we said earlier, that Jesus wept when he arrived at his tomb, when he was dead. So there was a connection. There was a relationship. And now that Lazarus is up and walking around and back to life, it's time to party. It's time to celebrate. And while Jesus is there, Mary wants to give of herself and sacrifice. And so she takes a pound of costly perfume, a pure nard, and anoint Jesus' feet and wipe them with her hair. The house is filled with the fragrance of that perfume. And the house is also filled with the joy of this new life of this resurrected life and the joy of just being together. It was a party to remember, but word got out and some folks were excited. They wanted to see like this Jesus who raises people from the dead and they wanted to see this man who was raised from the dead. But not everybody was happy. Even one of his own disciples, Judas, was complaining. And then the chief priest found out that Jesus was in town. And they weren't happy either. They heard about Jesus' works. And instead of raising their glasses, they raised their fist. They wanted them both dead. And you have to look and see why. And so the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. And so instead of them accepting what God was doing in their midst, instead of them accepting this miracle of someone being raised from the dead, they wanted to kill him. And they wanted to kill Jesus. And there's a lesson for all of us is that sometimes our pride and our theology can get in the way of what God is doing. And if we're not careful, we will try to kill the work of God and destroy it. Because we'd rather be right in our own theology instead of humbling ourselves at what God is doing. And sometimes we actually just want to stay in our bondage. A friend of mine says, sometimes people just want to keep their demons. And that's what we see here. Charles Spurgeon says, when men hate Christ, they also hate those whom he has blessed and will go to any lengths in seeking to silence their testimony. And that's so amazing that some folks cannot handle the work of God. They say they want God. But as soon as God shows up, they want to get rid of him. I remember years ago, um, during my time in seminary, we were saying, we want the move of God. We want revival. 
And then there would be times when the spirit would start moving and then folks would want to just shut it down. And so a friend of mine would say, we were like, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. And then until the Holy Spirit shows up, we want to punch him in the face. It's like, why? Because he's not doing it the way we want or the way we think it's supposed to look. So what is that? What was it about the chief priest or even ourselves when God does some miraculous things and we're not celebrating? And basically, God just wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. And how is our attitude when Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do or how we expected him to do it? Can we accept his will and his ways? Jesus says he only does what he sees the Father doing. This Jesus who hangs out with tax collectors and drunkards and sinners. This Jesus who would heal the leper on the wrong day of the week. Who would forgive adulteress. Who meets with the marginalized. Or those that he shouldn't hang out with at all. This is the God, this Jesus, is the one who would preach good news to the poor and proclaim freedom to the captives and bind up the brokenhearted and to bring comfort to all those who mourn, those who have lost much, those who have no voice. This Jesus is also the one who proclaims the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. This Jesus comes with justice and compassion and the love that will leave the 99 to get the one. This is the Jesus that was sitting at their table. And hopefully and prayerfully, this is the Jesus sitting at your table. And we see this Jesus and we see his heart and we hear his heart. Even if we go through the Gospels and we look at the story of the prodigal son, of how a dad could forgive, receive, and restore a son who considered him dead just to get his inheritance and then spend it all and then come back. Who in that culture, this son who deserved death but got mercy instead. This is a reflection of the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, who was slow to anger and abounding in love and merciful. This Jesus was sitting at the table in Lazarus' home. And hopefully and prayerfully, this is the Jesus sitting at your table. And so, when we're at that table and we welcome him and we accept him and his will and his ways, May we also celebrate those who need that grace and that mercy and that restoration and those who need hope. We have a choice when God does things that seem outside our box or outside our theology or when he touches those or he helps those that we don't deem worthy to receive his love and his acceptance or his forgiveness. We can choose to sit at the table with those people and with our God and with our Jesus and celebrate the good things that he's doing, 
we can celebrate of their hearts being restored or them being brought back to life. Or we can be angry and we can walk away. Just like in the prodigal son story. There's a huge party for the son that came back and as the scripture says, he was once lost, but he's now found. So let's have a party and let's celebrate this. Or we can be like the older brother who's angry. But the thing about that story, and I think with all of us, is that the older brother needed his dad, just like the one who left. In other words, the older brother, the son who left, needed Jesus. The chief priest, as well as those who were celebrating with Jesus, the sinners that he hung out with, they all needed Jesus. They all needed a savior. They all needed grace. They all needed mercy. They all needed restoration. They all needed healing. But what was the difference between those two camps? Humility. Jesus said in his words that healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Sick people, those who are willing to admit that they need help. When you look at the attitudes of the religious establishment, or even Judas, did they know they were sick? Or were they just in denial? As I mentioned earlier, it takes a lot of pride, it takes a lot of stubbornness to witness miracles and the works of God, but not celebrate them. But in in choosing to push that aside and to try to kill the miracle worker instead. And so today, we have a choice. The invitation is given. We can invite Jesus to our table and celebrate all the great things he's done for us and he's done for our friends or even to our enemies. And we can receive and find that life we've always wanted, the life that we needed, the healing that we needed. Or we can choose to stay in our sickness and stay stubborn and unfortunately die. And so let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, I pray right now to whoever's listening to this, that even if they've been disappointed, if they've been hurt by the church, that they will be willing to give you a chance. Or maybe they've been a prodigal and they left and they ran and they want to come back, but they're afraid. They're in shame. They've wasted everything. But Lord, may they get hope from the story that you will take off running to them and you embrace them and kiss them and restore them and throw the biggest party that heaven has ever seen. And Lord, I also just want to pray for those who think they know it all, who think they have you all figured out. Lord, I pray that their hearts would just open to you and your truth and that they would be humble 
And Lord, I pray that their hearts would change toward their enemies. I remember years ago how a teaching I heard said, you know how you are as far as growing with Christ is how you can love your enemies. And Lord, for those of us who are still struggling with that, whether it's a different political party or a different culture or a different race, Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I pray that one day we will all sit at the table together and celebrate the mighty works that you've done and how you brought us all back to life and how you healed us. And Lord, may we be willing to give up whatever means so much to us, Lord, like Mary gave that expensive bottle of perfume, Lord. May we be willing to just lay it all down at your feet, Lord, and, and humble ourselves to you. And Lord, I pray that where we need grace, we will get grace. Where we need mercy, we will get mercy. And Lord, where we would get love, we would get love. And Lord, in the midst of this crisis that we're in, Lord, may we give hope where we need hope. And Lord, we thank you that your hope does not disappoint. And we thank you that in the midst of this, you give us an example that you knew that your life was coming to an end. And even then, you weren't focused on yourself. You were focused on the work of the Father and you were focused on those around you and you were fully present and you still gave yourself to them and you were still teaching and you were still loving. And Lord, I pray in the midst of what we're facing right now, may we still come to know that truth that you are still with us fully. You still are Emmanuel and that nothing can separate us from your love and that nothing can keep us from your plan, your will, and your way, and that you haven't given up on us. And Lord, I pray that as we come out of this, that these moments with you at your table would change our lives and then transform the lives of all of those that we come into contact once this is over. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.